You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have enjoyed an episode, then please, please open up Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you think we deserve it, scroll to the bottom, select write a review, and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love. Once you do that, send me a screenshot and I will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my Instagram that has over 10,000 followers. Now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of Will Power Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Donovan Adesero, and Donovan is a real estate developer. On top of that, he's also a house hacker. And on top of all that, he's also a petroleum engineer. So it's an honor to have him on here. So Donovan, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Will. It's an honor to be here. My pleasure. So to start off, man, like how are things going for you? It's good, man. You know, um, things got a little little weird during Corona. Everything, as you know, it's just changed up everything. But, you know, we're working through it. So yeah. how are you? you know, pretty well as well, you know, going through it. COVID's kind of ruining things, but we're getting through it. Yeah. And for those that don't know, I talked to Donovan earlier, and he's actually 24 years old, so he's pretty young as well. Um, so, Donovan, I kind of want to go kind of back to your childhood. So you can kind of talk to me about your childhood and what it was like and how it kind of affected you. For sure. Yeah, so let's see. Yes, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, as, as we were talking offline. Um, went to a, a public school in St. Paul called Harding High School. Um, yeah, I lived pretty, pretty close to – um, how do I put this? Um, I mean, I walked to like my public schools and, and, and I was pretty close. So it was typical kind of inner city, um, things that go on, you know, there's, um, long story short, there's, there's a bunch of probably not so good influences growing up. Um, you know, for me, it was like, I either got to make it playing basketball or being a rapper, right. Kind of the typical inner city. And how do I get out of here? So, um, yeah, I was a very big basketball fan, still am, um, loved to play basketball. I thought that was my way to go division one. That did not happen. <laughs> not that good. Um, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but I also tried to stay, you know, focused on school because I knew, um, you know, I'm not going to the NBA. So I always wanted to have something in my back pocket to, to lean back on. And so focused on basketball, but also focused on, uh, you know, doing well in school as well. Gotcha. What's your favorite NBA team? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like a, a bandwagoner. I kind of oh. follow whoever, hold on. It's not, it's not LeBron though. It's, it's Westbrook. So I'm a Westbrook bandwagon and I love it because he gives 110%, doesn't care what anyone else thinks and, you know, just hustles. So, um, whatever his team, his, whatever team he's on, that's, that's the team I'm a fan of. Yeah. I mean, after this season and making the most triple doubles in NBA history, I'm a huge Westbrook fan now too. So absolutely. I'm a championship. Yeah, he's got to get a chip. He's got to get a chip. Um, 
So kind of growing up, how did you kind of learn to steer away from all the negative influences that were all around you and kind of stay focused on school? Because obviously that had to be hard growing up in the inner city and you know coming up in that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, so I guess I sometimes you could see the the writing on the wall writing on the wall a little bit so for example you know a lot of the the bad influences you can see the consequences so like we've had you know multiple people you know go to juvie in the middle of school and get and get locked up um in, in handcuffs and just wow. you know kind of you can see the end result like man like that's that's not the way to go so really um, it's unfortunate, but you know, that, that's kind of the way I looked at it. I was like, that, that's not, I, I can't do that. And I need to, um, steer away from that as much as possible. In addition to that, making sure your, your friend group is, um, focused on positive things. So like my friend group was pretty much the whole basketball team. So we were all focused on basketball and, you know, there's still negative influences, but basketball is what kept us kind of rather than going getting something bad, we would just go to the gym. So that was a very, very positive for a lot of us. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I played basketball as well. I actually play basketball in my college right now. Nice. Uh, and like the fact that like, just like teams in general and sports in general, like they help steer, kid, steer kids in the right direction, in my opinion, just being disciplined, you know, kind of learning how to work hard and to work for what you want in, in life kind of, in that kind of, um, kind of moral moral story so Absolutely. i think I, I totally relate to what you're saying with sports and how it kind of focused you going the right direction um so what made you want to go to college then yeah i mean so my my dad's actually from nigeria so he's a immigrant he came here when i was um when i was young um well he came here before i was born but yeah so he came here and met my mom and so kind of the typical immigrant he's like you know go to school get good grades go to college and it was kind of like uh I guess I wanted to go because I wanted to get a good job, but you know, it was kind of like the, I didn't have any other options, right? I mean, I wasn't going to go professional drafted or anything or go to prep school. So um, I knew I wanted to make a decent living. And so the college seemed like the the way to do that starting off at least. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of kids go to college with that mindset as well. Like, okay. I just want to get a job that pays six figures. So I'm going to like become an engineer or something like that. Exactly. I, think I fall into that boat as well. Um, so do you ever, do you ever like regret going to college for that major? Like, do you think that you mainly went because of the, how much money it was going to make or something like that? Yeah, honestly, that, that is why I got into it. So to be completely transparent, what I did was I Googled what is the highest paying major with only a four year degree. Cause I didn't want to go to, you know, 12 years of, uh, medical school or seven years for a lawyer and all that. And petroleum engineering came up. All right, I'm doing that. Um, so that's how I originally got into it. Probably not the um bet you know in terms of follow your passion probably not the best thing but you know when i got there and actually started doing it it was challenging and so i liked that aspect of it um there was no set answer for a lot of this stuff um so it's a lot of the petroleum engineering stuff it's constantly evolving so you so sometimes what they teach us is already 10 years late and so i like that that we're kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of technology um so i do actually like it no i don't regret it um, I think it set me up very well. Um, another thing too was in addition to just having a high paying job, it wasn't strictly just high paying. It was, I want something I could pay off my student loans because I knew I was going to have to take them out um, right. and take out too much. But, you know, I knew I, I wanted something that I could, you know, pay it back with, with a lot of confidence. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a very growing industry as well. So it's definitely going to be good for the future. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of going through your college years, did you have any temptations like to break away from that straight path? Like, okay, go to school, get good grades and do all this stuff. Like, do you have those temptations again to kind of like, okay, with these drugs over here and these people over here and like partying and stuff like that. And how do you yeah, kind of break away from that? Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. No. Um, and so that's actually a big part of the reason why I went out of state for college. So as I mentioned, I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota, but I went to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that was a big reason. It's because I know if I stayed in if I went to the University of Minnesota or something kind of around where I live, just the the probability of, of getting into something or being at the wrong place at the wrong time was just exponential to me. And so I could I could kind of see that. Um, I didn't know. You know, I, I wasn't going to planning on doing anything bad or anything. It was just just being around it. You know, just caught up in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. So I made sure to separate myself and go kind of far away for college. And you know, I didn't know anyone in Oklahoma. Never been to Tulsa. Couldn't even point to it on a map. Um, I never <laughs> never visited as well. I literally just signed up and just showed up the first day. Um, and so that was a, a big positive influence because I was kind of secluded to the campus, and that allowed me to strictly focus on, on, you know, getting what it, getting my studies done really. So, yeah. I mean, I, I love your story so far. It's so impressive how you did all this at a young age. Like you had that mindset, like, okay, I'm going to go kind of out of state so I can stay focused on schoolwork and not get sucked into that trap. Mm-hmm. I think so many kids today, they struggle with that because you see them go to college, get all those student loans. And then half the time they're skipping all their classes and failing them anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm like, like, how are you able to develop that mindset at such a young age that, okay, I need to stay focused and driven in my life and I need to, you know, think about my life 10 years from now and I need to make the best choices right now for my future. You know what I mean? Because a lot of kids struggle with that. So what would your, what would your advice be for that? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I don't know if I have a strict advice to, to do it. I think what influenced me in particular was, you know, growing up, we, my parents kind of argued over money a lot. So I was very, you know, almost... I don't know if it's scared or what. It was just worrying about not having enough money. That was just kind of always in the back of my mind. <clears throat> and so when I was going to college and taking out student loans, you know, I was at class every single day. I had 8 a.m.s Monday through Friday. And, you know, a lot of people would skip. Um, but I made sure I was there. I was like, look, I'm taking out student loans. I need to be able to pay these back. So I'm going to show up to class, do whatever I need to do to make sure that that, that money's paid back. So um, in terms of how someone can kind of get to that point i think looking you gotta gotta look a little farther ahead and what i mean by that is in high school i think it's it's easy to not take it seriously but when you look past that you're like okay how am i going to make money once i graduate and then if you don't have a pretty solid answer of how i'm consistently going to make a good income or the income you want to make whatever that may be then you need to think okay i need to change what i'm doing so that i can get to that point so it's kind of how i look at it Right. That's so good. And like people like you and I, like we have that mindset to think about that, but there's so many people around me, especially in college, I'm looking at them like, like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like nothing to benefit themselves. They're not really going to classes, Mm -hmm. majoring in like art and for like $60,000 a year or something like that. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, come on, man. Um, (laughs) I don't mean nothing to say to that. It's yeah. But you got the right mindset. That's good. I, I would, I was just trying to lead by example. I would say I was trying not to, you know, um, try not to put people down or anything, but I would I would just say, you know, what so what what jobs are you gonna get with that? And just kind of ask um, challenging questions. And hopefully, your if if high school kids are watching this, for example, hopefully your guidance counselor is asking this question as well: is what are you gonna do with that once you get out? And if you don't have a good answer for it, then um, 
may, may be time to make a tough decision on if that's the best major for you. So, right. Right. And I, I looked this up the other day. It's like the average amount of money that people our age like have in their savings. It's like less than a thousand dollars. Like that's just crazy to me. Crazy to me. Yes. Like, how um, are you surviving? Like, yeah, like that's, that's tough. And that's oh. why I'm a big proponent of house hacking, which maybe we'll get into later, but that, that's a huge reason why. Yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Mm -hmm. So after college, you were you able to find a job right away with your degree? Yeah, so I was able to secure an internship each year, and so that definitely helped because um, those those internships seem to be the kind of deciding factor. And if a job is gonna uh, give you that full time offer, they want to make sure you're, I guess, battle tested in a sense. And so I interned with the company I'm at now, my junior year, and then they extended a full time offer. Um, uh, my senior year. So I kind of had one lined up when I, when I was graduating. So it was a good feeling. How were you able to get that internship? Um, so I I got it through the career fair at my school. And so that, that's probably the best way to do it because the competitive pool is a bit smaller versus if you apply to one a posting just on Indeed, for example, that's you could probably competing with people across the country. Um, usually when companies from the career fair, they reserve a certain amount of spots for that school and so it's able to, you're able to be a little bit more competitive there um and i did a bunch of stuff in college i mean i was president of like three different organizations i started um nationality of black engineers at my school um so i was involved in a lot and i also kept my grades so i think the combination of um being involved in clubs and also maintaining you know pretty decent gpa helped get the, get the internship yeah for sure Okay, so now in your story, you're a petroleum engineer. So at what point did you decide to go into real estate? For sure. Um, you know, so curly, kind of early on, probably a few months into working, uh, I can just imagine someone from my job watching this right now. They're like, oh, man. Um, <laughs> but here's what happened. So, you know, just driving home one day, not driving home, but I think I got home and I was like, man, I'm waking up at 5 a.m., and I'm not getting back till like 7 p.m. because of traffic. So I need to leave an hour early for traffic. I need to, I get back an hour late because of traffic. And I was like, I got to do this for 40 years. I just, I can't see it. There's no, there's no way. And so I started looking what other ways to make income, passive income, because I still wanted to keep my full-time job. And the thing that kept coming up was real estate, real estate, real estate. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, other things come up like Amazon FBA, but and I did look into all the different little things you can do for passive income, but what I really gravitated towards is real estate. And I think because of the the leverage on it. So because you can put such a small down payment for the most part and control a pretty large property, I think that that's what really enticed me to dig into it deeper. Right. So how did you kind of educate yourself in real estate? Because obviously that's not your background at all. Like you're an engineer minded like person. So how did you kind of get that knowledge to have the confidence and go out and get a house in real estate. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a hundred percent YouTube. You've honest with you. Um, I don't have any family in real estate. It wasn't, I don't have any friends who've done it. It was strictly going on YouTube. I think I started with Grant Cardone. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy an apartment complex. And I was like, I'm going to take out credit cards for it. Just completely, you know, just not really fully analytical in, the, in that sense when I first got started. But and then when I kept digging into it, I was like, okay, Apartment complex, probably not a good start for me. I don't have fifty to hundred thousand for me to whatever the down payment for. So yeah, yeah. start looking at something that's easier for a new college kid with not really much money and house hacking kept coming up. Um, bigger pockets was a big influence. Um, 
yeah, just a bunch of different YouTube channels for sure. Yeah, I listen to a lot of bigger pockets podcasts too, so I definitely yep. get some knowledge from doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, what was your what was your first deal then after that? Yeah, so my first deal was so I graduated 2019 in May, got my job in July, and then probably about November is when I signed the agreement with the realtor to really start looking to finally buy, find a duplex. Um, yeah, I settled on a duplex because I was able to find a 0% down loan and they had only went up to one to two units. So I could either a single family home or a duplex, but I knew I wanted, you know, to rent out the, the other unit. So, um, settled on a duplex. Um, and then, yeah, it took me a good five, six months to find that first one. I was on a contract on one that fell through because I needed a new roof. Again, I didn't have any money, so I didn't have the five, 10 K reserved to just buy a new roof. Um, but I eventually found a new construction duplex here in Houston for 275,000 at the time. And I was able to get it with a 0% down loan. So I think the only money I had to bring out of pocket was, was like four to 5,000 for closing cost, And then uh, the 0% down covered it. And uh, maybe we could talk about that or we can do a link in the notes or something, but for anyone in Houston, or I think anyone, anyone anywhere, the way you get that 0% down loan with no income cap, because a lot of the 0% um, down programs require that you need to make below median income. Um, but this one, because I bought in a certain area, and it's called a low to moderate income track, you're able to get a 0% down loan through the bank gets community reinvestment at credits. Yeah, CRA credits. And that's how you're able to get it. So anyone watching across the country, you get a 0% down loan if you just find the right bank that has those uh, CRA credits to use. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Because I always thought the lowest thing you could do for house hacking was an FHA loan, which is like three and a half percent down, I think. Yeah, and that's what I started with as well until I found out about this program. Wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I mean, I got lucky. What can I say? I mean, but I'll take, I'll take luck any day. Yeah. So how did you find that deal? Yeah, so it was strictly on the MLS. I didn't have any access to any off-market properties at the time. I was pretty reliant on Zillow. So I had my realtor, well, I guess I went in there myself. I'm just on the Zillow app. You can set the, the alerts for whatever you want. So I set an alert for under 300K to, uh, multifamily. And so every morning I would get, not every morning, but anytime a, a new one popped up, I'll get an email, I would check it. It looked decent. I would go and look it out. I'll go and check it out with my realtor. Um, at this point, I had missed out on so many duplexes that as soon as I saw this, I told my uh, my realtor to make an offer without even seeing it, just because the market was getting so hot last year, and I knew it was gonna it was gonna fly. So um, that's how I got it. Was just setting up the Zillow alerts, and then when I got one that fit my criteria, I'm under 300k, and it can almost make the 1% rule in terms of renting for 1% of the purchase price, then I just made an offer. Wow. And apparently it's a pretty good one too. So yeah. for people that don't know, like what is Zillow and how can they use Zillow to their advantage? For sure. Yeah. So Zillow is, Zillow will pull all the listed housing for, for sale, for lease, anything related to uh, so it's called the MLS, the multiple listing service. That's the kind of official name that realtors use where they list the properties. Now Zillow scrapes all that data and aggregates it into their app. That way you can see any property anywhere. Um, here in Houston, we have HAR, which is a Houston Association of Realtors. And that's where that's the MLS for Houston. But Z Zillow is cool because it pulls it from all the different 
associations. So in, in my HAR app, um, Houston Association of Realtors Association, Houston Association of Realtors, MLS, I can only see the ones in Houston, but with Zillow, you can pull them from anywhere from different cities, um, different states. And so you use Zillow to set up an alert for what you're looking for. And it's really easy to do. You can, um, yeah, you can look it up online. It's fairly, fairly simple, but use that to constantly look at properties so that you get familiar with what you want. Got you. Now, when you were going through this process, I'm assuming you found your agent just by finding the house on the MLS and contacting the agent then for that house, right? Actually, I found it through a coworker. Okay. okay. Yeah, so, so a coworker was a realtor and well, he was a real, he was a realtor before, and then he recommended to his old uh, brokerage. So, but th the way you described it, that that's an option. If you don't know anyone, I, I would do that as well. Okay. Cause a lot of the problems that people have is trying to build their team in real estate. Like obviously the big four, the realtor, lender, contractor, property manager, people yep. of nature. So how should people go about building their team in your experience? What should they be doing? For sure. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, it seems like the easiest way to start is, is getting a realtor because they, they're going to make a commission whenever you buy or sell a property. So it's good to have someone when, when they know where their incentives are aligned. So you want to build your team, the realtor wants to make money. You know, when you combine, you can kind of leverage each other's, I guess, what you guys want. So they're going to make the commission. So maybe you go, I, I got my realtor. And then I immediately ask them for contractor, lender, um, inspector, all those different things. The realtor typically has at least one or two people that they can reference you to. And that's a good start. At least when you're going to, you know, before you buy a house, that's a good start. And then once you get into real estate, you'll, you'll meet other people who can do different things. But in terms of starting, I'd say start with a realtor, leverage that person to get the lender, contractor, inspector, things like that. Gotcha. The realtor should introduce you to the other people then for your team, which is Pretty. That's why it worked for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So for, so for this property, do you have any hiccups with it? Like did anything go wrong with it? Yeah. So, oh man. Yeah. Um, okay. So we went under contract last March. So March of 2020. If you remember March of 2020, that is when everything shut down. So <laughs> literally, the, yeah. And if you also remember the oil price, the oil futures went negative for the first time ever. So, and I think oil was at like, $10 a barrel at one point. So long story short, I didn't know if I was going to have a job the next month because I'm only a year in, I'm only nine months. Yeah. Uh, I guess 10 months into my full-time job. I was like, if they're not, if the company's not making any money, they're going to start laying people off. And I'm the youngest person with the least experience. I'm probably next to go. So my realtor was kind of like, I don't even know if you should buy this right now. Right. Cause, cause they knew, um, you know, my coworker at the company. And so she, he had told the realtor, like, yeah, we may not have a job next month. And so my realtor was like, are you sure you want to go through with this? I was like, you know, I trusted my numbers. It met the 1% rule for the most part. So I, I was under contract for, I was really under, under contract for 287,500. So I was under contract for a little bit over what I was, what I ended up purchasing at. Um, and it was when I projected the rents to be was 2,700 once I moved out. So I was expected to get 1350 aside. I was like, okay, it's close to the 1% rule. It's new construction, which means I have little maintenance for the first probably three to five years at least. Um, it's in an appreciating area. It's in a non-flood zone. So the, the deal just really made sense. Um, and then an, another hiccup, my job ended up cutting my salary 30% Oof. while I was under contract. And it wasn't just me, it was the whole company. 
Um, but long story short, that really shrunk my DTI. And at the time, I was still renting uh, an apartment downtown. So mind you, I had three months left on my apartment lease, which was like 1200 a month, which was probably more than I probably should have done. But, you know, came out of school. So I like, I deserve it. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but long story short, I was under contract for the the mortgage, which was going to be about 1900. Then I still had my 1200 each month on um, on my. Uh, sorry, I was trying to thought, but my three months on my apartment. Um, so long story short, there's a, a bunch of bills starting to add up. And now I, I have it at a reduced salary. It was a big decision to continue to go through with it. I could have backed out. Um, but again, I was just really confident. I was like, look, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. Even if this, the market tanks next year, it's fine. I'm going to, because the money I was going to be saving was about 800 a month between moving into the, the duplex and renting the other side versus, you know, paying 1200 a month downtown. So I was like, look, I mean, if anything, I should be doing this even more right now because I'm going to be saving money. And on a reduced salary, you obviously want to save as much money as possible. So it was a risk for sure. I could have easily been laid off that next month. Luckily, I wasn't. Um, I went through uh, the process, um, still approved with the bank and everything. The appraisal, another thing. So the appraisal actually came in lower. So the appraisal came at 275 and I was under contract at 287, 500. So the seller could have just walked away and said, um, you know what, your bank isn't going to approve you for the full amount. We're just going to walk away. Luckily, I think they were a bit scared because of COVID. So they ended up accepting that 275 offer um, due to the low appraisal. And yeah, we closed. And one year later, best decision I ever made. Wow. That's Sorry, that was very long-winded. No, that's such a cool part of the story. Like the fact that you took that risk. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs see themselves failing. That's what separates the, like, the real from the fake. Like that moment right there, like to decide to go through with it, even though it was a risky decision, but you still trust in yourself. You heard the numbers and you ended up believing in yourself and it, it worked out in the long run. You, you right. were able to keep your job and it, you still make profits off of it. So that's sure. really cool so for people that don't know, what is the 1% rule? Because I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, but I have no idea what that is. Yeah, so 1% rule. I mean, I first heard about it through Bigger Pockets. So Bigger Pockets is like probably the largest real estate um, platform that I know of. And they talk about if something is going to cash flow, meaning make you money after your expenses each month, if it hits the 1% rule, that typically means that it'll cash flow. And the 1% means um, every month it should rent for roughly 1% of the purchase price. So if I purchase that $275,000, it should rent for roughly $2,750 each month. And if it does, typically that means it cash flows, not all the time, but that's a good kind of standard for you to try and hit. Get as close to the 1% rule as possible, and you'll probably be all right. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so now with this property, you're living in one half, you're on a half of it, and you're running the other half out. So how do you find tenants, and was it easy to find tenants even though it was during COVID at this time? No. So that was another big thing was I had no idea how to find a tenant. And I was asking my realtor, you know, hey, can you help me find one? She's like, yeah, for sure. And then they're like, well, well, we can, but you have to split the, the full, the first month's rent goes to typically, I didn't know this at the time, but typically 50% goes to the buyer, um, the buyer's realtor or the renter's realtor. And then 50% goes to my realtor. I was like, my salary just got cut. I got three months left on my apartment to pay. I got a big old mortgage payment, 1900 bucks coming up next month. And I got to give you first month's rent. 
no, I can't do it. I just didn't have the, I didn't have the money to do it. So I was like, okay, I need to get it rented myself so I don't have to give up that you know first month's rent. And mm-hmm. what I did was I went on roomies.com um, and just started listing the different rooms for rent. I was like, you know, if I can just get a few rooms rented, that'll really help me out. Um, again, I'm on re- my reduced salary, so my budget's like paper thin. There's like no savings. I actually had to pay the last few months of my apartment on a credit card because I didn't have the money. So now you can see how paper thin, like inches away from basically everything falling apart. Um, but got it on roomies, able to get it rented uh, to three women. And so they filled out each each room and I was able to get like 1750 um, those first few months. So that really helped. And I didn't have to give up that first month's rent to the realtor. And uh, yeah, so it was tough. God, I don't want to go through that again because it, yeah. it, it, what happens is there's still people who want to rent. The problem is the the quality. So it's like you know, 400 credit score, 500 credit score, only making two times rent. So it just really doesn't meet a lot of qualifications. Um, so that that was a tough part, but still alive today. Got through it. You know, just made it happen. Yeah, we found renters eventually. So that that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are they the same ones that are still in it today? No, so I actually just released it uh, to a family um, in March. Gotcha, gotcha. So that way, um, and the reason why is because when you rented by the room, what happened was like, so two of the women were sisters, and then one was just someone else I found on Facebook, um, you know, Facebook Marketplace, and they just didn't get along. And so one of them left, and so I was already I was always having a vacant room, which meant my cash flow was reduced. And so I eventually right. told them, uh, look, I'm not going to renew, and I'm just going to get a full a family in there to just cover um, all the just um, expenses. Because when you rent by the room, it's hard to split the utilities as well. So I was paying the utilities, and it just didn't make didn't, didn't make sense um, if I couldn't keep all the rooms rented. Right. right. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I thought that um, usually, typically, like the tenants would pay the utilities. Is that how it normally would go? Yeah. So they do when. Like, so right now, because the tenants occupying the whole side, they pay the utilities. The problem with renting by the room is you're really only renting that room. And so you, it's hard to split the utilities because whose name does the bill go under, right? Because nobody wants it, wants the full, no one tenant wants the responsibility when they would have to ask for the money from the other two. It would just get really sticky really quick. So to make it simple, I, I cover the utilities and just charge a little bit more. But Again, because I couldn't keep the rooms rented, it just didn't make sense. Right, right. So I kind of jump back into the mindset of things for a little bit. So I don't know if I missed that class on like residual income or passive income. Like I was not taught that in school. I'm sure you weren't either. Yep. So at what point did you realize that like passive income and residual income are so crucial to like future success? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it was a process. I wouldn't say it was overnight. Again, when I when I started looking up different ways to make extra money, you know, in addition to my full-time job, um, you started seeing all these people who were doing what they wanted to do half the time. And, you know, like going to Cancun in the middle of the week or, you know, just doing little things like that. And so seeing little, little, I guess, glimpses of what I hope my future can be, that that really helped. Um, and then again, if you just talk to the other people in real estate, they always tell you it, it's about cash flow, it's about cash flow, it's about cash flow. And so it was really kind of, it, it was ingrained at, over a period of time. It wasn't overnight process. So it was really a slow mindset shift from, 
okay, I need to trade my time for money versus I need to make my money work for me and have have it bring back little little friends. That's like what they like to call it. So invest <laughs> your money, have it bring back little friends to make even more money. Right. We're going from the employee mindset to kind of the entrepreneur mindset and making that money work for you. Yep. And that's so crucial. I think a lot of people need to learn to develop that mindset, you know, just for their own future, for the sake of it, especially nowadays with COVID and how uncertain the world is. Like you got to have like multiple streams of income, you know what I mean? Like for the future, yeah, to be successful. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think another book that helped was Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, read that. I think, uh, what else? Checking out my bookshelf to see what else I got on there. Um, uh, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor um, and The Millionaire Next Door. All those those three are, are what I recommend and it'll really help slowly start to change the mindset from, you know, maybe I don't have to work 60 years of my life if I don't want to, so. Right, yeah, for sure. And so kind of looking at your life, like where do you see yourself going in like the next five years? Like what are some of your big goals? Like do you wanna get more real estate or continue your engineering job? Like what are some of your main goals? Yeah, so I mean, I um, at the current point, I still want to continue my engineering job. Um, it's difficult to get loans without a W-2, or you can get them. The problem is you have to wait two years and show business income for those two years in order for you to get the loan. So for me, it, it makes sense to keep it, and it's a good, you know, it's, it's really allowed a high savings rate as well. So. I can just continue to save, um, you know, I'm a passive income from um, the real estate as well as from tarot. So I do that as well. Um, and that's, that's kind of paying the bills. And then my uh, income from my W2 salary uh, can go to savings investments. And so I, I would like to get to a point where my passive income is about double what I'm bringing in with my W2 salary. And then at that point, I would, I would like to leave my full-time job and I'll probably do that by 30 if not before that's awesome that's really smart money management too so congrats on that thanks we'll see yeah yeah so before we run out of time here um where can people reach out to you if they want to find you and is there anything else you would like to say um yeah so you can reach out to me on ig instagram i'm donovan underscore 651 i'm on twitter at donovan builds um yeah, feel free to shoot me a DM with questions, concerns, any ideas running through your head. Happy to help whenever, whatever way I can. And then, yeah, I guess what I want to leave with is kind of like what you said earlier about COVID hopefully should have shown you that any job is replaceable and can be cut at any time. And I would highly recommend to make sure you have a backup plan, backup cash flow typically so that your family and yourself are not in a tough situation to where you're going to start draining your savings because you lost your job next month. So I'd say focus on getting a couple as many streams of income as possible. Um, and house hacking is a great way to start it. That's awesome. All right, guys, we have it. Donovan Adesero, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Well, it was a pleasure. Yeah.